all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hola. I'm Rachel. <laughs> I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow us on Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group. And there's a Discord out there. An official Discord. We need to like join it and <laughs> learn what that is. I still don't know what that is. <laughs> it's out there though thank you michelle for yes thank you organizing for who, whoever's that. doing it and whatever it is michelle was the one who organized it um <clears throat> but it, she was like do you i can make you a an admin and i'm like y- yeah i mean i have to <laughs> i'm like thank you um i need to figure out what it is and how to use it first i think it's basically just like a chat room okay sort of ish I don't know. Any, anyway, yeah. we like it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, of course, I said hola because you know what country this is from. I gave, I tipped my hand on that. You don't know the topic, but you know the country. I think I've since forgotten. Okay. All right. No problem. Anyway. Anyway, I wanted. You told me like a week ago. That's <laughs> okay. I, I wanted to. So just so everybody knows, because this is coming out on November 9th. Um, happy birthday, Sue. Happy birthday mm-hmm. to your mom. Uh, we are recording this on April 4th. No, sorry. November, November 4th. 4th. Did I say it? November, <laughs> November 9th, November 4th. Sorry. I don't know why. It's not April. <laughs> um, Thank God. Yes. I would be uh, wrapping up tax season if that were the case on the home stretch. But uh, so we don't have official election results for presidency at this exact moment in time. So as expected. Yeah, as exactly expected. I did work uh, the election as a poll worker yesterday. Um, not a huge turnout because we had a lot of early voting in our county. So that wasn't a huge surprise. Um, a lot of people who were kind of last minute and therefore like a lot of issues, like couldn't find them in the poll book. They had to verify their address because they were a new voter, whatever. Like it, it was... It was hairier situations with fewer people, basically. But a lot of people did make the effort to come out, which was really good. And had a much better working experience myself. That's than good. The, yeah, than the primary, which, ugh, the, that, was a, that was a wreck. But the chief judge of my precinct uh, that I worked, he was a first-timer, but he was really good. So I really appreciated that. So just like I wrote a letter to complain about the last chief judge, I think I'll write a letter to commend him yes, <laughs> to the should. board of election. Yeah. Um, wanted to mention a couple things. One is both Tim and Maurice, who are listeners, like literally just messaged us, LaShawn McCoy. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you threw me off with wide receiver. Sorry. That's, that, that's I did actually was. think he was a wide receiver. I don't know why. He caught a lot of passes, but he was a running okay, back. Okay, okay. He was a running back for a bunch of people, Maurice said. Like, he, yeah, he was with the he's Bills. on like his fourth team. Right. Uh, he was with the Bills, mm-hmm. which is why I even knew him. Because he was, let's go, you would, you would always be like, go Shady, let's go Shady. <laughs> and, then so I that's why, and then I couldn't remember who he was. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, he hasn't been with the Bills for a little while, yeah, right? So. Okay. Uh, so interestingly, Maurice shared this. Uh, he shared from Google. Uh, so his nickname is Shady, and it was given to him by his mother because of his mood swings, where he would one second be happy and laughing, and the next second be upset and crying. It is common for someone to mistakenly believe the nickname is in reference to his elusiveness. And then Maurice went a step farther, and I'm going to read this just because I think this is really good. To take this a step further, as an African-American male in his mid-30s, describing someone as, quote, shady was quite the colloquialism in referring to someone's behavior being outside of its norm, usually in sort of a reclusive manner. Example, person one, yo, what's up with Rachel? Person two, I don't know, she acted real shady today. Meanwhile, Ra- <laughs> listen to this. Meanwhile, Rachel is dealing with systemic oppression that comes with living in an impoverished neighborhood and doesn't have all the necessary tools and resources to learn how to deal with her feelings and express them, which is a luxury afforded to others. But that's a completely different episode. <laughs> yes, it is. Well said, Maurice. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. So thank you both for calling that out. Because, yeah, we could not think of it in the in the moment no. i think we came up with it after maybe i don't know i don't even remember we recorded that a while back so um i also wanted to share my favorite one star review of all time okay <laughs> that we received a couple weeks ago from c will 1122 the topic is or the subject line is unlistenable <laughs> such intriguing content to draw you in and then the most annoying person of all time. <laughs> she does not shut up and let her co-host finish a sentence, let alone a thought, and this show is completely ruined because of that. Short. Yeah. Sweet. And I don't even have any shade to throw because I love that someone thinks I'm the most annoying person of all time. All time. That, that is kind of an honor in a way. Isn't it? Yeah. All time. All time. That puts me ahead of like... Like Ted Cruz. Uh, Roseanne. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you had to start naming a Gilbert Gottfried, just his mm-hmm. voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that was kind of his career mark anyway. Annoying. Yes. Yeah. So like if you had to name the most annoying person of all time, it would probably be someone famous, right? Yeah. So... I'm famous to this person. There you like, go. I, or infamous. The most, Either way. You're the most annoying person of all time. I'm the most something of all time to this person. <laughs> hey, that's something. It, well, the thing is, the thing that I genuinely love is someone doesn't say that about you unless you've gotten the fuck under their skin. And I love that by doing nothing to this person at all, I took up enough headspace for them to think that I'm the most annoying person of all time. Thank you. Way to go. Thank you, Seawill1122. I am so honored. Um, I'm happy to send my address for my prize. (laughs) You're more than welcome to message me. Let me know. Um, It can be cash or trophy. Cash. Cash would be preferable. But what do you think the trophy would look like for most annoying person of all time? I don't know what that would be. Send us your ideas. Yeah. (laughs) Design your own trophy. Yes. (laughs) So anyway, those are just a couple things I wanted to share. Do you have anything to share with the class? I don't think so. Okay. So, so you don't remember. uh, So I said hola. So obviously we're visiting a a Spanish speaking country, right? Okay. 
Today we are going to Argentina. Okay, Argentina. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we are. Oh, and I did give another. I did give another uh, hint because we covered politics last week, right? With mm-hmm. the 2000 election, I said we were going to go right back to our roots. So, what was your guess? It was uh, a fire. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Specifically, this is the story of the Republica Cromagnon nightclub fire. Mm. So we are going literally back to our roots. Episode one was about the station nightclub fire, where I think it was exactly 100 people. It was people. exactly 100 people. Well, listen to this. On December 30th, 2004, a fire at the Republica Cromagnon nightclub in Buenos Aires, Argentina, killed 194 people Jesus. and injured nearly 1,500 others. You know what? I think I've heard of this. Have you? I think so. What are your... Is this, how is it? <clears throat> does, does this start out as a um, like a rave or something of that nature? N- no, it was a concert or okay. a, you know, a club event. Okay. No. I think I have heard of this. There though. are... You know what's, what's sad about this category of disaster is how many there are. Oh, yeah. And how recent. Specifically nightclub disasters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll talk in a little bit about how, like, it'll be interesting if maybe crowd disasters are just done with, at least for a while, <laughs> because of COVID, but... We can say that there's most likely been less of them. <laughs> yes. Due to COVID. I would absolutely think so. So main sources for this episode were the BBC, a paper called El Com- Comercio, uh, a website nightlife.fandom.com, and then I did use a lot of Wikipedia, speci- specifically Spanish Wikipedia, um, because they had a really, they had really good articles. Spanishopedia. Spanishopedia. Um, they had really good articles. Now this was through Google Translate. I do not speak Spanish fluently at all or understand it well. Um, so, I there there'll be a couple places where I'm like, this is the best I could tell what it meant. Uh, but with Spanish Wikipedia helped because otherwise I would have had to be reading a lot of primary sources like translated in Google and an example of like Google translates actually come a really long way. Like we're, we're well beyond the babblefish days <laughs> of early, early translators, early, uh, AI translators, early Googling. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> one of the, they're still missing like misinterpretations or mistranslations. For example, whatever the Spanish word that they were using in a bunch of these articles for nightclub or venue or whatever, translated as bowling alley. Okay. <laughs> and it was not a bowling alley. Maybe it once was. So it was really weird. I Not that I could tell in any way. <laughs> I remember when uh, the first time I was in San Diego for James's wedding, there was a there was a station because, I mean, literally you were right across the border from yep. Tijuana. Mm-hmm. And there was this one channel that would, you know, play things uh, in Spanish, trying to get people to learn how to just say basic oh, phrases and that's nice. stuff yeah. like that. And I don't know, for some reason, I thought it was funny that uh, Bank was Barco. Barco? Barco. Uh, maybe they were pronouncing it that way. I don't know. <laughs> but we kept saying it to each other the entire time we were down there like a bunch of idiots. Just and there's, saying and bank. There, and bank. There's, there's probably some people like, why do they keep saying bank to each other? <laughs> just randomly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just Barco. Barco. It, it sounded like, you know, what a dog says. <laughs> you know, no, but it's a bank. Uh, 
I I still like I have no excuse in the world that I never learned Spanish properly. I, I do. I never took it. <laughs> <laughs> I never took it formally. Never took language classes, but I lived in Miami. <laughs> like I grew up in Miami. I I could have easily learned to speak Spanish because I could have practiced it every day. There were it was easier to get around Miami only speaking Spanish than only speaking English. I don't know if that's still the case, but certainly in the heyday it, it was back in the like the 90s and early 2000s. Very easy to get along without speaking English. Um, and just how much handier that would have been if I had. Yesterday, a voter came in uh, who didn't speak much English at all, and she her primary language was Spanish. And of like the 12 people working the polls, like none of us spoke Spanish. And I was just like, ugh, like one of us should know this is the second most prevalent language in America, probably. I would sure think so. And like the fastest growing demographic are people from native Spanish speaking countries. So it's yeah, there's kind of no reason I've done some Duolingo and stuff, but I could have done a better job anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> move past my guilt about not learning Spanish. <laughs> so we're going to start with a trip to Buenos Aires and a discussion about the rat lines. Okay. So. Oh, I know what you're talking about. God, okay. Yeah. yeah. So this is our first trip to Argentina, which is fun. Is yeah. So here's why huh. it doesn't seem like it is the alive crash. Was but just thought, over the border had, of Chile. Right, but I thought we had done something else. Unless my map isn't up to date now. Okay. We've done, uh, well, so the Alive crash originated, the plane flight no, originated understand. in Uruguay. Right. And then it went to, like, Chile. just over the border of yeah. Buenos Aires. So we probably mentioned, or not Buenos Aires, Argentina. So we probably mentioned Argentina multiple times in that episode. Okay. That's my guess, or those two episodes, so... Uh, and it's, so Argentina, like, because I'm just learning stuff as I go along, as I research this, I didn't realize how big Argentina was geographically. It's very long. It yes. is. It is actually. It's like California. Yeah, quite a large country. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Buenos Aires is the capital. It's also the largest city in the country. So geographically speaking, it's on the shores of the Rio de la Plata and very close to Argentina's border with Uruguay. Okay. Uh, Basically, which I think Uruguay, that's Montevideo, I think, is the capital capital city. And that's close to Buenos Aires, too. So both of these cities lie along the Rio de la Plata. And that is an estuary that empties into the South Atlantic. Uh, So these are both waterfront cities. And when I say that Buenos Aires is large, I mean it's huge. Would you like to take a Samsonite guess at the um, the metro metro area population? population? Yeah, twenty five million. Uh, Samsonite, of course, <laughs> sixteen million. Yeah, that's <laughs> but still it's still quite sizable, a few, right? So when ranking the size of metro areas in the Americas, mm-hmm. Buenos Aires ranks fourth largest just behind new york city so it's huge what do you think the top two are i think the first is mexico city it's actually the second but what's the first uh sao paulo brazil Mm -hmm. the most populous metro area in in the americas yeah but mexico city's right behind it like they're very number one and two with a bullet sort of thing number one in pollution though mexico city (laughs) (laughs) is that what you mean Yeah. yeah as far as i know 
So like most huge cities, Buenos Aires is considered a melting pot, with Rio Platanese Spanish, a dialect of Spanish being the primary language, but lots of other languages are spoken and other cultures represented. Honestly, the place looks really damn cool, and I'd love to visit it yeah, one day. definitely. The city is divided, like most big cities, administratively into 48 barrios. So neighborhoods or districts, basically. I was say, I find it interesting how cities decide to desi- divide themselves. Sometimes it's districts, sometimes it's neighborhoods, sometimes it's uh, parishes, mm-hmm. like Louisiana or um, New, Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah. So the barrio we'll be visiting in today's disaster is Balvanera. So Balvanera is close to the downtown area of Buenos Aires, just like kind of the West End. There's a lot of business-favored zoning there, so a lot of the housing is apartments that are part of mixed-use space. So, like, what's super popular right now, at least in our area, which is bottom level, is shops and stuff, and then the upper floors are apartments. And it's really densely populated. Sure. And, like, the rest of the city, Balvanera, is ethnically and culturally diverse, the neighborhood itself is known for a large Jewish population. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to get into this. Starting in the early 20th century with other large ethnic groups, including Armenian, Korean, and Chinese. Uh, so the Jewish community of Balvanera was directly targeted in a terrorist attack, which is the deadliest in Argentinian history. In 1994, when a suicide bomber attacked the local Jewish community center, killing 85 people. Plus the bomber himself. So interestingly, as most of us probably know and we've talked about, there is a significant Jewish and German population in Argentina. And the punchline version of the reason for the German uh, population is what? The rat lines. The rat lines, yeah. That, that, uh, so basically, Nazi war criminals fl- fled. Not basically. Nazi, yes. Definitely. Well, well, let's get into it a, just a little bit. So, uh, it that's that's a big that is a part of the story. So, sure. many Nazis and members of other fascist parties escaped Europe after World War II through what were known as rat lines, immigration escape routes, right? Most of which led to South America through either Spain or Italy. Um, and who helped facilitate the rat line to Argentina post World War II? Do you know? Another, like a person or a country? A person. The president of Argentina. Oh, uh... Also when we didn't start the fire. The, uh... Perón. Mm-hmm. Juan Perón? Juan Perón. Yeah. Uh, Evita's husband. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so... Juan Perón, he was an he was a fucking asshole. Yes, he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Portrayed by I, I, Antonio Banderas. I think that's a fair designation for somebody who smuggles <laughs> Nazi war criminals. Well, listen to this. So... At the very least, he was an asshole about being an anti-Semitic person and a Nazi sympathizer. So he specifically assisted in rat lines. Like, he was like, yes, please, Nazis, come here. Now, I'm not saying that Argentina is the only uh, only country to have facilitated that. We've discussed Operation Paperclip, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the I don't, I don't on, think we have. In the show? I don't think we have. So you know a little bit more about that than I do. I do, but that's, that's going down on... Different Long wormhole. story short, yeah. NASA um, recruited Nazis who were smart, smart Nazis, <laughs> to help with uh, the Apollo projects, right? That yes, was they like did. the long and short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, one uh, Peron said some pretty awful shit, including listen to this quote I became certain that the Argentine people also considered 
The Nuremberg process, sidebar, that is the Nuremberg trials, right? Where they prosecuted Nazi war criminals. Mm -hmm. A disgrace. Unworthy of the victors who behaved as if they hadn't been victorious. Now we realize that they, meaning the allies, deserved to lose the war, end quote. In other words, he thought Hitler should have won. Of course. So, yeah, yeah, nice guy there. He uh, hit a lot of their assets, too. He didn't just smuggle them in. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helped him escape and he, with and money, he, uh, too. And he, he, he uh, took a little bit off the top when he was oh, I'm sure. helping out with those assets as well. Yeah. So, yeah, when Just you... Just like any good politician. So, when you <laughs> when you hear uh, Ava Perone, uh-huh. uh, Madonna as Ava Perone singing Don't, Don't Cry, Cry for, me, for Me, Argentina, um, she facilitated in... Uh, Nazi war crimes. So just. Well, what she did to. So I've actually. Have you ever seen Evita? I have not. I haven't either. I had no interest. Yeah, I've never seen any musical, and I don't really know much about her. My initial impression is that what she did was kind of like endear the first family to Argentina, which, like, even if she disagreed with her husband's politics, say, like, say she was herself wasn't a Nazi don't think sympathizer, she did. but even if she wasn't, she sure facilitated a better image for him and that's pretty awful i think she also died young from cancer or something and it's part of the game of politics yeah image crafting yep yep big part of it but rat lines aside european immigration to argentina has a very long history jewish immigration goes back to 1492 <laughs> oh what else happened so you remember year? all that stuff about like uh spain and uh, catholicism and the roanoke episodes and all that well, it resulted in Spain persecuting and expelling Jewish people, ah. which is what started the immigration to the area. So. Well, lucky for them, it'd be the last time the Jews would have to put up with something like that. <laughs> if only. <laughs> As for Germans, major waves of immigration actually go back to the 1800s. So it's not just... Um, that all makes sense, though. Yeah. So I'm mentioning all of this because, first of all, it's very interesting. And second, we'll be hearing a lot of German-sounding words and names. In Argentina. Yeah, in Argentina, which is exactly. probably going to throw some people off without yeah. giving them that little bit of background. A little background, yeah, exactly. Like, why are there so many damn... Why are there so many damn Germans in Argentina? <laughs> Don't mention the wool. Don't mention it. I did. I think I did once, but I got away with it. All right. So now... <laughs> Let's move on. I, to... hope, I hope everybody loved my sterling uh, German impression. <laughs> I haven't played a lot of Call of Duty lately. <laughs> so where, you, now... where you just get to mow down Germans by the thousands in those games. <laughs> so now let's talk about Rock Nacional and the Republica Coromagnon. So The National Rock? Yeah. So in Balvanera... There's a pretty strong arts scene, including music, and the barrio is considered to be the birthplace of Argentine rock music, or rock nacional. This is a really interesting thing. I kind of dove into this. So one of the... Should, should we play some Argentinian rock? Well, we, we can certainly listen to it. I don't know about, like, like nobody listens. Argentinian copyrights? <laughs> well, I mean, who <laughs> listens to us enough to, for it to matter? Um, watch well, it be watch it be like members of the band. They're like, hey, <laughs> we didn't give you permission for that. Maybe we will. But anyway. OK, so one of the hallmarks of Rock Nacional is that unlike rock music from many other countries, they don't sing in English, but in Spanish. OK, 
So, you know, like, uh, I'm, I don't know, I'm thinking of, like, I'm ABBA. Thinking of, I'm thinking and of La like Bamba. The, well, yeah. No, no, no. I'm thinking of, like, uh, rock or, I guess, pop, too. Uh, groups from other countries that even though they're not native English speakers, they're singing their music in English. Sure. Like ABBA mm-hmm. or... Yeah, they were um, Swedish, I think, weren't they? I think so. Like, that's not unusual for people to sing in... Are you, are you thinking of dancing, Cleo? <laughs> like, no, I'm just thinking of, like, like the manager had to, Like, the manager had to sit down and, like, like, all right, we need a big hit in the United States, so you're going to learn English for one song. <laughs> that's... The funny thing is, too, like, for the most part, people who are non-native English speakers who sing in English tend to sing without much of a discernible accent from their native language. Like, think of Dancing Queen. Like, do they sound Swedish? No. I don't think they do. No. Like, it sounds very straightforward. In fact, a lot of British singers lose their... British accent when they're, when they're an American accent. When they're just singing normal. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Unless unless you're listening to Oasis. <laughs> <laughs> would you like me to do my impression of Wonderwall? No, you wouldn't. No, you I would not. That. I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> One of the most over but you were about to stop the recording. I was not. No, there's oh, like okay. a little There's like a little fruit fly in here. <laughs> um See them? Yeah, there we got yeah. a couple. Um, so yeah, I think Oasis is one of the. I have an unnecessary hatred towards <laughs> Oasis. I do not like Oasis. Anyway, so does Oasis. <laughs> right, pretentious arseholes. Yeah, they hate people. themselves more they than anybody do. else hates them. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to look up, and they the these videos are out there. They're really fun. Uh, some of the early rock and roll covers from Argentina oh, because God. they have the same nonsense words <clears throat> but then sing in Spanish. So, um, like, Biba Balua, and then She's My Baby, but in but Spanish. In Spanish. <laughs> it's, it kind of reminds me of uh, when I was living in uh, Green Vegas, G Vegas, South Carolina, <laughs> or Greenville to the natives. Um, when I was living with Omar, he would occasionally watch, well, not occasionally. A lot of the time he would watch Univision. Uh Uh-huh. Univision. Univision. And they would have like a, you know, they would have like a, their version of MTV for like, Uh for like an hour. And I remember that the music videos just being so terrible. (laughs) Like they were, they were literally like, it was like the graphics department left over from like 1983. (laughs) It was but But it was like 1999. (laughs) And it was just like, Omar, man, how can you watch this stuff? It's it's, It's funny. The music is terrible. And the videos are worse. Well, it's really interesting. I really find the export of rock and roll to be so interesting because America, the United States was the birthplace of yeah. rock and roll. But it's interesting to see how each country, sometimes each like community, caught on to it and then turned it into their own version sure. of rock. Like... Um, the the Beatles, the first thing they did was covers of like Chuck Berry. Mm-hmm. That, that's what everybody did basically. They started with covers, and then every community started branching out into their own version of rock and yeah, roll. Yeah, like in South Korea, you now have K-pop. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I kidding. Mean, that's... I, that's not a bridge at all. I <laughs> but but like we've. Well, we've, we've certainly discussed <laughs> on our own. Um, no, we I feel like we talked about this at some point, like how rock was kind of dying out in the U.S. in early days and the British invasion well, is what post, brought it back. Uh, um, 
post the, the Buddy Holly exactly, plane crash. Exactly. Rock and roll was the just day the music died. Elvis getting was, drafted. Was just kind of sitting arrested. around for a while. Yeah. It wasn't mm-hmm. really doing anything mm-mm, mm-mm. until the Beatles came along. And they brought it back. Yep. Yeah. So they, it's been it, like, it's nobody, like it died and been revived. Nobody can think times. of that now. Like that, that mm-hmm. is very not remembered at all that there was like a gap, like rock and roll came out of the gate and then just stalled kind of went away for a little bit. Yeah. And then came back, which mm-hmm. is not how people remember it, but it's, it's true. Mm-hmm. Like skateboarding. so after the early rock days of the 50s and 60s argentine rock evolved in similar veins as rock the world over so there was like the acoustic versus hard rock split kind of like their own version of the folk versus electric uh split there wasn't the constant beat that i hear in every latin music has the same beat yes it does no 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 they are different you know one type is different from another. Whatever, whatever Lale is always playing <laughs> has that every beat in every song. Lale. It's like, I, that must be the... Uh, like the National Syndicate? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so funny. Um, <laughs> so after that, you know, there was an era of progressive rock, experimental music. <laughs> progressive Argentinian rock. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind yeah. of curious what that sounds like. I know. Like. Oh, there... There's a lot to delve into musically. So, um, and then there was even like a series of mysterious and tragic deaths of prominent of rock figures. Of course there were, yeah. Like there are they went, everywhere. They, they went all in. Yeah. yeah. Well, it happens. It, it happens everywhere. Like, yeah. <laughs> They're like, so all right, funny. to sell this for the world, somebody's going to need to get addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. It's going to be you. <laughs> right. And you uh, will either kill yourself or kill somebody else by the time you're 27. <laughs> yeah, Right. So by the time of this tragedy, the modern modern Argentine rock era was in full swing. So every local or regional music scene has its primary players, right? Especially the ever-present club owners. Oh, of course. So in Buenos Aires, one of those guys... Did you ever tried making it without getting into the clubs first? <laughs> right, yeah. It's pretty mm-hmm. tough going. Mm-hmm. So one of the guys uh, who was sort of like the on the scene as a as a club guy uh going back to the 80s was omar chaban so of course in 1982 at the age of 30 chaban opened a club called cafe einstein <laughs> with his business part- partners and this this is why i had to explain the whole german thing sergio eisenstein <laughs> what yes <laughs> Sergio Eisenstein. I know, I know. It's the cutest. It's the Sergio that throws everybody off. You're like, okay, Sergio, whatever, right? No, Eisenstein. Eisenstein. What? How did that happen? And Helmut Zeiger. I like that. In the very north border of Balvanera along Cordoba Avenue. And the club did not last for a very long. It closed a couple years later. But it became kind of a landmark in the rock nacional scene. Like most musical entrepreneurs, Chavon did not end his ventures with Cafe Einstein, and he went on to open a club the next year, which he called Cemento. <laughs> you know what that means? I thought uh, I don't. What cement. is it? Oh, okay. Cafe Cement. <laughs> no, just, just cement- Cemento. Cemento. I thought he was going to go with Cafe Ben Franklin <laughs> for the next one. Cafe Eisenberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cafe Rothstein. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was in the barrio of Constitucion in Buenos Aires. 
So Cemento ended up being yet another pretty seminal venue in the Rock Nacional scene. Cement. Cement. Well, but you know what? That ha- that sounds like an '80s club. You know, the, those clubs have uh, those early like rock and underground clubs like CBGB and uh, Tunnel. Right, like the tunnel in New York. I guess I, I'm not. It's like a notorious one. club. But that's from... like a, a tunnel. It's a place. Like it's a, like tunnel cement. C- cement. You know, it's, I think it's close. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it really isn't. So anyway, a bunch of really huge bands in Argentina performed at Cemento. It was known for a fair amount of controversy, including noise complaints from local residents and disturbances, including but not limited to fights breaking out. So they were trying to go all Sunset Strip. Yeah, in, uh, in, in a residential yeah, area. There you go. Or a mixed use area, right? Yeah, they are all committed on r- yeah. in, in rock and roll. I love it. Yeah, right? So as a result, it was closed down multiple times, then reopened with police monitoring the area. Oh, poor cement. Yeah. So, <laughs> ready for more names? Cemento wasn't Chaban's only a club. He also opened the very short-lived Daiskula, <laughs> which means the school in German. The school? Yeah. So I can kind of see that. Cement and the school. And the school. <laughs> and Einstein. Yeah. Later, musicians would reflect upon the spirit of clubs like Cemento as being less corporate and allowing musicians to kind of run the show the way they wanted. So, like, sort of like the <laughs> anti-establishment, right? And going back to our very first episode, nothing, is ever, nothing bad has ever happened when you let the band control <laughs> what's going on on stage. Yeah. <laughs> So, Although to be fair, that wasn't the band; that was the band's manager. Just to be, who who to who his credit it. took full responsibility. He did. So in early uh, yes, in early two thousand four, Chavan became the manager of a brand new club in Balvanera, Republica Cromagnon, which literally translated means Cro-Magnon Republic. <laughs> nice. Yep. In the case of Cromagnon, Chavan was not the owner. The club was owned by a company called Nueva Zaralux S.A. <laughs> like a whole. Uh, the Cromagnon was more centrally located in Balvanera and had its grand opening on April 12th, 2004. Now, just a quick reminder, this disaster took place December 30th, 2004. Mm-hmm. It opened April 12th, 2004. Mm. This, this club did not last long. The headlining band of the opening show was a rock band called Callejeros. So that basically translates to like stray or stray dog. It's it's like a colloquialism for sure. being street smart. Uh, in, interestingly, like many of the early Rock Nacional artists, even though Callejeros had formed in 1995, they started by doing clover, covers of classic American rock artists like Chuck Berry and Creedence Clearwater Revival. Nice. They gained a lot more national popularity the year before this, so in 2003, when they released their second album, Presión, which means pressure. Grow And they grow, grew from a small venue band to a group that could draw thousands. So by the time 2004 rolled around, they were a band very much on the rise. They released another album, Rock and Rolles Sin Destino, which means rock and roll without destiny. And in 2004, they played that album in its entirety live twice, first to an audience of 10,000, then to an audience of 15,000 at a football stadium. So they were drawing some crowds, right? They were moving up. So by the time the end of the year was rolling around, Callejeros was pretty well known and could draw a crowd. 
unfortunately, mm-hmm. as it would turn out. Should we play any Callejeros? Mm-hmm. Nah. Let me. Well, you know what? At some point, I'll 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 play you some. Just in, off yeah, just yeah. in case. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, so we'll do a little please hold when we get to that. So at some point, several months before the fire, we'll discuss the Cromagnon experienced some near misses. Hmm. Now I have to apologize as, here, as most clubs that eventually burn down usually do. Yeah. So I have to apologize here because the article I found referencing this was in Spanish. I'm relaying the Google translation, so it might seem a little vague. I'm not completely sure if I'm totally understanding it entirely, but at any rate, the artist Jovenes Pordioseros was playing at the club when a fire broke out and everyone had to be evacuated. From what I could tell, no deaths or injuries. Then the exact same thing happened on Christmas Day, so five days before this fire. So the irony of this is not only was this not the first time a fire happened in the Cro-Magnon, it was the third in an eight-month period. Mm-hmm. So. Might want to investigate those first two. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit. So uh, Cro-Magnon, when it opened up in April of 2004, guess who the opening band was? Uh, I'm going to go with Gorky Park. What is Gorky Park? Is that an actual band? It was a, it was a Russian pop metal band in the, in the late '80s. I don't know why that. How just did you made, come up with that? I, I, because when this was right after the wall came down, but mm. Russia was still the USSR. Okay. So they hadn't because between the wall coming down and communism going away, there was about two or two years, three years before that all took place, mm-hmm. and uh, so. I can't remember who the promoter was. It was like a big time concert promoter. Decided to have like this, you know, uh, well, like this. Uh, back in the day, they used to have this festival that was called the Monsters of Rock, which was all like the biggest rock okay. bands of the eighties. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to do something similar in Moscow mm. with all the big names at the time, and have this one. I guess they found one <laughs> Russian pot metal band, Gorky <laughs> Park. Gorky Park. Like, I remember watching the whole thing. Like, uh-huh. it was live on MTV. Like, it was Ozzy, Bon Jovi, and Motley Crue, and... Oh, yeah. Like, all... Like, think of the biggest rock acts of yeah. the late 80s. They all played this thing. And then Gorky And so Park. did Gorky Park. <laughs> Park. Gorky Park. I don't know what I thought. I mean, Gorky Pop. And I think Gorky, Gorky Park. Park was, like, a place in oh, Moscow. I think okay. they were named after, like, something. Gosford Park. <laughs> something like that, but yeah. That's funny. That that's sounds for all like you, the... That's for all you Gorky Park fans out there. <laughs> Sounds like the sequel to Corky Romano. Corky okay. Park. Yes. Corky Park. <laughs> so, no, the actual opening band at Chroma. Wasn't Gorky Park? No. Shockingly, it was Callejeros, the band I just told you about. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, hey, that's a that's a double bill for you right there. <laughs> Gorky Park and Callejeros. No, no, Callejeros and and this other what's the other band you were saying? No, they're all this it's the same band I'm referring to. I'm just oh. saying that okay. The band that was performing the night this happened is the band that opened the club. Okay. They're called Callejeros. <laughs> so I was getting confused with my Argentinian bands. Gotcha. Your your rock nacional band. Yes. So they were they returned to the club at the end of their banner year. Remember, this was the year they were finally drawing like stadia for people. Out. Mm-hmm. The night before New Year's Eve, December 30th. So this is getting into like it's basically New Year's Eve, but not quite New Year's Eve Eve. Now, I found conflicting accounts of the capacity of the club. 
So there are some ranges. It's probably because there wasn't an official mm, one. You may, well, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. So these numbers may not be exact, but from what I can tell, the capacity of the club was around 1,500. It's a pretty big club. But guess how many tickets they sold to this? Like 3,000? 3,500. Okay. So already they were setting up an overcapacity issue. So it was deliberately enabled by the venue. Then it's estimated that up to another 1,000 people were allowed in or snuck in, whatever. Another, they're... So responsible club owners. (laughs) We're going to get into that. (laughs) From a place that's already had two fires. We're going to get into that. So anyway, there was somewhere in the ballpark of between like 3,500 and 4,500 people inside a 1,500 capacity venue. That we know of. Yeah. And these are all just estimates, right? So in these days of COVID, it's kind of hard to remember places like crowded spaces. Yeah. Um, well, wanting to be in a crowded space yeah, is and, just a desire that... And here's here here's a, a recommendation. Let's never do that again. Well, it'll it'll just naturally happen again. I don't want again. it to. It, it's not safe, and it's not cool, and we don't need to do it. And I hope we, we are smarter about it. But at any rate, um, do you, like just think back to an experience. Like We're talking a packed-in, shoulder-to-shoulder sort oh, of yeah. crowd. I've been to many events like that. Yeah. So probably, not, probably for the last time. Who knows? Yeah. So those types of events are not only uncomfortable, but they are genuinely dangerous. And it doesn't even ma- matter the capacity. If you're packed in like that, it is dangerous. Period. Um, at any rate, I did find pictures of the club after the fire, which I will show you. But just to sort of describe it... It appears to be like kind of a two-tiered club, kind of like Lincoln Theater. So like an open floor and then a Mm balcony-ish, standing balcony kind of uh, thing. In fact, if I think about like capacity of Lincoln Theater, it's probably pretty close to... I would say Lincoln Theater is probably 1,000, 1,500, something like that. Yeah, so it's probably a similarly sized club. Um, and then there are stairs leading down to the main floor, which is just like an open floor. And then like the lighting and rafters and whatnot on the ceiling. There were now, <clears throat> again, this is this is a little tricky to tell from a description, but I think this is what it was. So there was the main entrance doors, right? Like the two big front doors that led into kind of like an entryway or vestibule. Okay. And then six entry doors to get into the actual club. Uh, there were at least two emergency exits, as well as an exit that led to a parking lot of a hotel next door. Now, in addition to the adults present for this show, a number of people brought their small children and infants to the show, and they set up like an improvised nursery in the women's bathroom in the balcony. That's interesting. that will not go well. Uh, No. (laughs) Just trigger warning right off the bat. Just in general, I don't think a nursery at any dance club for, for any reason would go well. Good effort, though. <laughs> but they were probably literally just better off leaving the kids at home by themselves. The kids would have stood a better chance that way. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It's like, come on, kids. Mommy's got to go to the rave. Come <laughs> it wasn't on. It was a rave. I know, but it's just. It, yeah. Um, to the rock nasty now. <laughs> So the Callejeros show started around 10.30 p.m. local time. Now, a little background. The use of pyrotechnics, fireworks, flares, that sort of thing, 
was unfortunately kind of an ingrained part of the rock scene in Buenos Aires. So people were able to bring in flares and fireworks and such. <laughs> now that, tr- now let's talk uh. about translation. I saw flare, firework, and pyrotechnic. So I'm sure they're like little handheld uh, firework type thingies, right? That's my guess. I don't know. Or, exactly. I mean, it's fucking Argentina. They could be just literally throwing fireworks up into the... <laughs> well, let's keep going. I don't know how they get down in Argentina, but... So because of the previous incidents of fire in the club and the fact that he saw people in the audience with some form of pyrotechnics, Omar Shaman himself addressed the audience prior to the show to warn about the danger of fire. Now, note this. He warned people... He didn't eject anybody that he saw with pyrotechnics and nobody like letting people enter the club were confiscating these things. They're just like, hey, don't do anything dumb, drunken crowd at a rock show, (laughs) you know, so he just was asking. Don't ruin your reputation (laughs) of being smart. Yep. Now, the, the, these fireworks or pyrotechnics were likely being held by audience members because they were a day out from New Year's Eve. Sure. So it was like a pre-New Year's Eve thing. So the band began People to play. People are already getting amped up, you know. Mm-hmm. The band began to play. Um, and at 10.50 p.m., the band was a few songs in, and they were performing Destino from the aforementioned hit album Rock and Roll Sin Destino. Now... I used Google Translate on the lyrics. Destiny. Uh, I yeah, that's what destino means. I think anyway, and so I got a definite kind of Green Day "fuck you" vibe from them. So here is the Google Translate version of one lyric: <clears throat> "To consume me, to set me on fire, to laugh without worrying. Today I came here to cover my naivete with a little more than salt. I want to stay." like it end quote uh just to note that to consume me to set me on fire yeah a lot of angst yeah okay so we just took a little break and i played you distinto yes from uh rock and roll sin destino <laughs> uh rock and roll sin destino and uh that did it did sound a little uh bruce springsteen and the e street band ish yeah, it did because of the sax player mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was also very like Upbeat. Pop rock, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh-huh. It was like a, if Sum 41 was an Argentinian band. What did Sum 41 do? Like what, Blink-182? Yeah. <laughs> or Three Doors Down? No, not, <laughs> they're, they're not, no, they're, they're not connected. <laughs> no, they, are, they are a number band, but they, okay. but they did, yeah. Pop punk. Gotcha, yeah. And that was like a new song for them, too. That's a 2004 song. And then they're not older people like Bruce Springsteen. They are younger a younger band or like more contemporary band so that's right uh, Jessie. yes Jesse back um so i just i just said you know to consume me to set me on fire to laugh without worrying that's what they were saying today i come here to cover my naivete with a little more salt a little more than salt i want to say so i'm sure it's more poetic in spanish than that but all right so at 10 50 p.m Someone, and from what I could tell, it was never discovered who, uh, in the audience lit a flare Mm. or firework or pyrotechnic, some sort of conflagration, right? So a quick aside, 
because we know where this is going. <laughs> um, obviously, a fire started, and obviously, there was flammable material present. I was going to say, of course. Yeah. So yeah. specifically, the materials of the ceiling and walls included wood, styrofoam, acoustic ceilings, wool insulation, and in some places, as a cheaper alternative to insulation, stuffing from teddy bears. Like okay. stuffed animals. Poly fill like sort of things yeah that's not flammable at all ah also hanging from the ceiling was a decorative plastic netting known as media sombra which translates to half shadow okay so just plastic netting i i couldn't get an exact visual of what that is and when i looked up media sombra it didn't like come up with a picture of it or anything but anyway plastic netting right so at first, it was just a very small area that had been impacted by this uh, flare, but the netting caught fire. This is very mm. uh, Coconut Grove, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and that immediately began... Jesse Pinkman! Stop that! Should we let oh, him out? God, we we need to, because he just, <laughs> he just used the records as a scratching post, and you are a bad kitty. You're a bad kitty. Yeah, we need to eject him. He doesn't really seem to care. He needs to be ejected. Come on, bud. He gets kicked out. Oh, oh little okay. bud. Go on. Go. Here. Here. Can you grab him? Yep. Thank you. Fascinating, as always. Yes. Well, wasn't it? There was some time when we were talking about something super serious and... Oh, my goodness. See, guys, this is why I don't edit. Because you love this, don't you? Don't you love... The trials and tribulations of cats. He literally was using (laughs) the records as a scratching post. He's such a shit. Okay. So this plastic netting is what spread the fire, basically. If it hadn't been there, that's not to say it wouldn't have. It just... Certainly didn't help. It facilitated further, really, really, um, really horrifyingly, because the netting was just like polyurethane, like plastic, because it was so flammable and thin, it dripped from the ceiling. Oh, um, like molten ignited plastic all over the audience, burning some of the audience members. One source called it, quote, a rain of fire. Mm. End quote. Like a physical sure. rain falling. Except it was fire. Yeah, and and burning plastic will stick and burn plus it smells awful not only does it smell awful it gives off toxic yes fumes, it does. Which we'll talk about in just yes, a second it definitely does so those inside did attempt to evacuate and kind of unusually in a situation like this crowd crush was not a contributing factor that's good so people did not die from a crush um however some of those who did attempt to evacuate back through the six doors that led to like the vestibule to the main entrance uh, soon discovered that four of the six doors had been chained shut. Mm. And this had been done by the club in an effort to limit the entry to make sure only paying customers mm-hmm. made it inside. The aggravating factor in this particular fire uh, was, as I said, not a crush, but toxic fumes. Mm-hmm. And that included carbon monoxide, <clears throat> carbon dioxide, and cyanide. Jesus. I know. And smoke... That immediately permeated the interior of the building as the polyurethane of the netting and the other materials burned. 
One survivor, a journalist named Gustavo Cabajal, would later write, quote, now, this is, again, this is a, a Google Translate, so I apologize if some of it's a little awkward. Sometimes when I'm awake, I hear the cries of parents calling out for their children, echoing among the buildings on Sanchez Bustamante Street, mm. end quote. He went on to describe the rescue efforts, quote, Every time the rescuers pulled someone out, a space was opened up through which the hands of the people who had been trapped would stick out and push to escape. When the rescuers and the people who had gone to the Callejeros concert managed to force the door to enter the venue, they had to push their way through a pile of bodies almost two meters high by five meters wide, many with their hands still resting on those doors, dying as they tried to open it. Mm. End quote. Yeah. So hundreds of people, like and the estimates were 1,492 people were injured. Mm-hmm. So um, and essentially, required medical attention. Essentially just about everybody was, that was there was injured in some... No, there was as many as like four or five. Oh, that's right. 4, that's right. The capacity was like 1,500. Yes. So that's like... Basically, half of the people were affected, mm. yeah. Um, a highly unfortunate 194 people were ultimately unable to escape with their lives. So because of the on-site nursery, 13 of those killed were age 12 or under, including some four-year-olds, the youngest. Oh, uh, well, no, the youngest victim, this is the horrible part, the youngest victim was a 10-month-old girl oh, named Louisiana Ledesma. Mm. Yeah. 65 additional victims were teenagers. Mm. And then the bulk of the rest of the victims were in their 20s or 30s. There were some in their 40s. The oldest victim was 66-year-old Osvaldo Jerfi, who is the uncle of the Callejeros guitarist, Maximiliano Jerfi. And then further, Maximiliano's 46-year-old aunt, 21-year-old cousin, and 15-year-old goddaughter all died as well. Jesus. Most of the victims died of suffocation, or poisoning from the fumes, or damage to their lungs. Several died of burns. Some died immediately, while others died in the ensuing days while undergoing treatment. I couldn't find exact information, but the most consistent information I did find was that 192 people died that day, and then two others died in the days after, like in the hospital. Hmm. Now, while the official death toll is 194, one additional victim is reported to have eventually died of a lung condition. And this is really awful. Four other survivors suffering PTSD eventually took their own lives. Mm. You don't make it out of that. No. Unaffected. No. So, <clears throat> this was a bad one. I mean, they're never good. No. But the fact that they had that, like, improvised nursery and a 10-month-old, like... And they were up in the balcony. Like, what was the chances of that baby getting out? Like, yeah. Oh, almost zero. almost zero. So after the fire, the investigation started. And it was soon discovered that Cromagnon had been overdue for a fire inspection. And the mayor of Buenos Aires, Aníbal Ibarra, pointed the finger at the local fire department, as well as the Argentine federal police, who were in charge of carrying out such inspections. It was found that 10 of the 15 fire extinguishers on site were depressurized and useless. Further, it was found the building shock wasn't up to code, as the door leading into the hotel parking lot wasn't even allowed under city ordinances. 
What was eventually uncovered was a completely crumbling bureaucracy infrastructure in the city's inspection system, leading to the finger being pointed right back at Mayor Ibarra. In November of 2005, Ibarra was suspended from his office pending an impeachment inquiry, and he was formally impeached and removed from office in March of 2006. Ibarra, for his part, blamed those pursuing his impeachment of just being out to ruin his career, of course. Like, what else are you going to say, right? And so the Spanish Wikipedia article for this goes a lot deeper into the corruption point portion of this case. So absolutely read it if you're interested. Um, Long story short, like, the system was so fucking corrupt in Buenos Aires at the time that... None of these people stood a chance because this building was nowhere near where it should have been. And it's going to get worse. (laughs) So don't worry, it gets worse. So as for the private parties involved, pretty quickly after the fire, a warrant was issued for the arrest of Omar Chaban, who was taken into custody after being found at one of his one of his homes in the area. It was revealed that also pertinent to the flaws in the city system under Ibarra's leadership the aforementioned Argentine federal police were on the take with Shaban, who paid an officer several hundred pesos daily for an extended period of time to look the other way at the club's non-compliance in terms of things like alcohol sales, which they weren't allowed to do, but did anyway, mm-hmm. exit obstru- obstruction, 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 and exceeding capacity. So basically, they were able to just bribe officials to look the other way. That's why this was just really fucking corrupt. Siobhan wasn't the only one to face charges, though. So trials began in August 2008 and ended in August of 2009. There were a bunch of co-defendants. A total of 15 people were tried. Some were acquitted, including all of the musicians in Callejeros. Sure. They were brought to trial on criminal charges, and then they were acquitted. I mean, they have, yeah. We're going to get back to that. No, okay. All right. Those who were convicted were Diego Arganiaras, the Callejeros manager, who was sentenced to 18 years. We'll talk about him in a second. Raul Villarreal. Uh, From what I could tell, he was some sort of partner in the Cromagnon, like a business person. Sure. Uh, He received a one-year suspended sentence for complicity in bribing the officials. Fabiana Fisbin, a Buenos Aires official caught up in the corruption scandal. She was sentenced to two years. Ana Maria Fernandez, another Buenos Aires official, also two years. And Carlos Diaz, yet another government official, sentenced to 18 years. Wow. As for Omar Chavon, he received the stiffest sentence of 20 years. So he and the band manager, Arganiaras, had gotten the stiffest sentences because they organized the event. And so they were subject to the most severe charges. Sure. So it was, from what I could tell, it was versions of um, arson and like some form of homicide. Homicidal Mm -hmm. negligence or negligent homicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Especially given uh, we chained four of the six exit doors. Uh Uh, We had shit hanging up that was flammable. And, and bribed and, officials. And uh, just as a bonus, we let in way too many people. I for I let me catch up on a couple of pictures here. Here's some of the rescue scene. Hmm. Yeah. And here's the club. This is their album cover on the display there. Okay. But you see how that yeah. kind of reminds yeah. me of uh, It does. Lincoln Theater. Lincoln, yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah. It's kind of warehousey looking, a little industrialish. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Arganyaras was also found to have participated in the bribery portion of the case. Uh, Callejeros for the band were found to have merely tolerated the use of pyrotechnics, and then they were acquitted. Now, there was some sort of certification of sentences process that I didn't quite fully understand and I couldn't really catch on to. It's obviously um, something within the Argentinian... Sure. It's a uh, different country. Yeah, different, different judicial system, system, right? Yeah. So it sounds something akin to like an immediate, an automatic appeals process. But basically, Chaban didn't go to prison immediately. He actually remained free during this whole appeals-like process. It's also known as cassation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have smart people who listen, lawyers who might we be do. able to um, For some reason. elaborate. I know. In the meantime, in 2011, Callejeros found themselves back in hot water because an appeals panel heard some new witness testimony mm. that said, um, Callejeros were egging people on in the crowd to use pyrotechnics. So Omar Chaban came on and said, "Hey guys, don't don't use pyrotechnics." And then, according to witnesses, the band came on and they were, they were egging people on. They were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, go mm. ahead, use them, light them." So, because of that, they were found complicit in the entire situation. When sentences were finally meted out to Chaban and the band, Chaban was sentenced to ten years, nine months in prison. The lead singer of Callejeros, Pato Fontanet, got seven years, and the rest of the band got five years each. And they served. No too. shit. Mm-hmm. Chabon went to prison in 2012. Uh, soon after, he was diagnosed with lymphoma, and his health deteriorated rapidly. The following year, he was allowed to return home under house arrest due to his poor health, and he died in November of 2014. Pato Fontanet was the last band member to be released on probation in May 2018. Mm-hmm. The band had split by 2010 prior to their second trial. And according to Callejeros guitarist Maximilian Jerfy, who lost like four or five loved ones in the fire, the band members no longer stay in touch. Yeah. I imagine you kind of want to forget and move on from that. Yeah. In the immediate aftermath of the fire, massive numbers of clubs and music venues were shut down in the uh, just to be like, okay, who else is, you know, not up to code? Uh, and it was discovered out, that they... Turns out everybody. Yes. And it turns out a lot of clubs were not complying with safety regulations. And then new stricter safety and capacity laws and enforcement were implemented. Yeah, because if all you had to do is bribe an official or two a couple of hundred mm-hmm. pesos a day... This was not the only guy that was doing that. No. There's no way. No, no. It took several years for the Buenos Aires music scene to start a comeback because, I mean, once you shut down There was down no all place venues, to play. Exactly. Or at least not a big venue to play in. Yep. And some would claim that it was never the same. So basically, well, sure. it never really yeah. recovered. Rock Probably Nas- because 194 people yeah. died at a mm-hmm. concert. So. Rock yeah. Nacional took a hit as a genre in a way it would never recover from, with other genres swapping out to come to the fore. One figure in the scene named Wallace from the band Massacre <laughs> said, quote, The day after the tragedy, Argentine rock became a mere entertainment for the middle class, a hyper-regulated business controlled and monopolized, monopolized by businessmen and officials on duty. A double tragedy. End quote. 
And that, my friends, was the story of the Republica Cromagnon nightclub fire. It's sad. That's a... Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the parallels to the very first episode mm-hmm. that we did are very striking. Yeah. Well, that's why I kind of wanted to... Because we did get so political in the last episode, I'm like, let's get back to like our tragic roots. <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to a club fire. Yeah. Because we love talking about those. And there's like a hundred more to cover. Oh, eventually. God. There's a ton it's of them. It's terrible. Yeah. They are awful. And, and it's really <laughs> weird to think about it now because... I shouldn't say nobody is gathering in large crowds. We found out that some people are really comfortable with some really shitty situations and really crowded situations when we visited Greenville. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was not cool with that. Yeah. Um, but it's been more than two weeks, so presumably we've made it through. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It's weird to think about like shoulder to shoulder crowds right now, but... Yep. Uh, don't take your kids to a club. I mean, I, I'm not going to shame the parents who I, did I, it. You know, like, I get it, but... Uh, I'm trying to think of the last time I was actually in a club. It, it, right. is, it has been a long time. Like a club club time. or a music club? I've got to guess it was when I was like 22 or 23. Like when I still lived in Greenville, maybe. Mm-hmm. Because I never liked them in the first place. Yeah. Like a club um, club, you mean? Yeah. Like... I couldn't stand the music. Mm-hmm. Couldn't stand most of the people. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a very... Uh, um, this may or may not come through in our show, but I'm not exactly, like, a very... Um, I don't necessarily want to be in the forefront. Put it that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Put yourself out there. Public. Yeah, so. which might sound weird coming from somebody who co-hosts a podcast, <laughs> but we do this in our bedroom with ourselves. We're not... And not many people listen. No. But, uh... But at a club, you're surrounded by people mm-hmm. who, you know, are like me, 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 me. Like, you know what I mean? Like trying I to do. draw attention to themselves. I, do. I, I don't think yeah. that necessarily everyone is like, no. I get what you're saying. It's typically a, a... It draws those type of people. It's a young and wild kind of crowd. Yeah. yeah. And even when I was young and wild, that was not my, that was <laughs> no, not my way of... Scene no. Of expressing it. Yeah. It was not. I think I've been to uh, Legends most recently, our gay club downtown. Raleigh, um, for like Bachelorette, I think was the last time I was in a club club. I did go to the gay club in Greenville a couple of times. It was actually kind of fun. Cool. Except when you went to the bathroom, then it was really weird. <laughs> well, for a man, I'm sure. Yeah. But, um. There's not supposed to be 50 people in the bathroom having conversations. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know it's, I know it's, co- uh, it's at least mildly co-opting of culture, but um, gay clubs are generally very fun for women yeah. because it's a cool place where you can have fun and flirt with uh, nobody right. being a fucking yeah. creeper. Yeah. Or less people. Fewer people being fucking yeah. creepers. That is very true. That is very true. So so it's it feels like a safe space for a lot of women, um, especially straight yeah, women. I think the so. place was called The Castle, if I'm not mistaken. The castle. Yeah, I, think it was. I love club names. They're so funny. <laughs> They're so funny. And uh, Jason was a bouncer at this one nightclub mm-hmm. that I I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me, but what I do... what I, The main thing I remember about it was... Um, you got a glow in the dark bracelet mm-hmm. and everything was like, um, dark lights are, so yeah, the black cool. lights. So uh-huh. people, but it was so damn funny. Like this girl I was kind of dating at the time. Mm-hmm. That's how I found out she had two fake front teeth because they, oh. were, <laughs> <laughs> they, were, 
<laughs> because they would glow in the dark. <laughs> like, Dude, like my teeth glow in the dark? I guess so, because hers did. Here's the, here's the <laughs> funniest thing. Here's the funniest thing. So when I talked to my grandparents on, I think Monday I called them. My grandpa has, you know, because he's, he's got dementia, so he'll make the same jokes. I mean, to be fair, he did that when, before dementia. Just dad jokes sort of things, right? Well, he like, made like my, these... Like my Henny Youngman impression? Yes. So he's made multiple references to his... He's had, he's had dentures for years. Mm. To his teeth glowing in the dark. <laughs> so I guess maybe yeah, I guess they do. False teeth. Like I didn't, I didn't notice it at first. Like my buddy Randy was like, "Hey, does she have like false teeth?" I was like, "I was like, I don't know why." He's like, "He's like her They're teeth glowing. are glowing in the dark." <laughs> were they fake or were they caps? I no, I think they were fake. I think they were false teeth. Did you teeth. ask her? I don't think I did. I'm just gonna yeah. I mean, that can happen just from getting hit in the face. Yeah, or it could have happened as, as a, a legitimate accident. accident. Yeah. Or, yeah, any number of things. But, was... <laughs> but that's just an interesting way to find out. Yes. <laughs> Very unique way to find out about that. <clears throat> like, why can I only see glowing in the dark wristbands in your two front teeth? I remember going to that place. It used to be when I when I first moved to Greenville, and I slightly run because it was technically on the Greenville Tech campus mm. of where I was a security guard. Mm-hmm. So you know it was good. <laughs> but um, when I first moved there, it was a bowling alley. So I think, and you could tell, like, when you went into the club, all they did was take out the lanes, left the high ceilings. Uh Like, it was a huge place. It was a really big, there were freaking cages hanging that people could dance. Like, shit like that. But everything was in neon and, Mm -hmm. yeah. It was kind of fun to get high and go there. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that, honestly, like, the more I think, that might have been... The last time you were Like, the last time I was in a club, because it was never my scene... Fun things happened here and there, but mm-hmm. overall, yeah, not for me. I I'm just not a I'm not a big fan of like loud noises and chaos. Yeah, I'm more of a bar type person. Yeah, I'm more of a brewery type person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't. I'm I've never been a fan of crowds. I don't. I don't like. I don't get panicked or claustrophobic or agoraphobic or anything. I once. really. Well, no, I really do start being concerned. That was a fucking legitimate concern. That was a fucking legitimate fire hazard, that that bar in Nashville. I am... That that was a fucking tinderbox. And a narrow-ass, one single narrow-ass stairwell in, like, three stories. The floors creaked. And I was like, oh, no, your exits. I have to jump out the fucking third floor window is my exit. And you're surrounded by nothing but Bills fans. Oh, my God. The most obnoxious humans ever. (laughs) Like, if I had, if someone was like, do you want to go into a a bar full of, uh, a dangerous bar full of Bills fans? Or a dangerous (laughs) bar full of Trump supporters? I would have to stop and think of it. Especially the overlap. (laughs) I was going to say some would. Yeah. One and the same. Yeah. Probably be about half and half. Yep. So, oh boy. So, yeah. I'm drinking beer from my Bernie 2020 koozie. Told you fuckers. <laughs> Told you fuckers. Well, we don't. Oh, yeah, there goes some beer. Well done. Already on the computer. Well, well, you were the one who dropped your phone on it <laughs> last week. But, um. Okay. <clears throat> 
there's that bug. I got something in my throat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, nightclub, nightclub fires, fires are bad. Just fires and that's I I do, I do fires not, are scary as fuck. I don't want any part of nope. Mm-hmm. Well, one day we'll have to do like a what's if we ever do a live way, if we ever oh, do a live yeah, show uh-huh. a socially distanced live show. Yeah. I think we're almost gonna have to do it on a fire just to kind of put everybody right? in the. Maybe we should do a maybe we should do a um a Zoom show or something. Yeah, maybe. We could. Yeah. Like our five loyal listeners. Yeah. No, no, that's it, not it would true. Be. It'd, be, it'd be about ten people. That's not true. We actually have a bunch of people who are really great. And I, I did do a little um a little post the other day. Like after Maurice's really nice message, because he went on to say some really complimentary things about us and very encouraging things. It just reminded me how nice you guys are and how you all are and how much like you reach out to us and say such sweet things. Yes. Like we get the we get the assholes who call me the most annoying person in the world. (laughs) But then on the flip side, we get you guys who are nothing but, like, encouraging Sweet. times a thousand mm-hmm. to us. And, you know, we started, I, and this is what I wrote in, in my post, too. Like, we started this three years ago basically to entertain ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I don't know how you feel, but I personally feel like everyone, like, the community and everybody, like, reaching out to us has encouraged me personally to keep going. You know, and I'm not... Like, if we had just never had anybody listen to us, I feel like we probably would have petered out a while back. Probably. Yeah. You know, just like, okay, that was fun for 50 episodes or something like that. But instead, this is episode 175. I know, that's crazy. Isn't that wild? It is. And it's kind of because of you guys. It's actually because of you guys. Because you are so nice to us and you reach out to us and and it's it's weekly we get several new followers several new people reaching out making contact and it's so appreciated you are wonderful people um we love you and keep up that discord server whatever the hell that is (laughs) we'll try to join (laughs) and figure it out (laughs) but in the meantime Keep talking with the cool people who know how to use it. <laughs> yes, very much do that. So that was the uh, Republica Cromagnon night, Nightclub Fire. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.